Good afternoon. Thank you all for joining me. Today is the first Sunday of October, the month when farmers begin to reap their harvests. And today we are going to begin to reap a harvest birthed from the leadership lessons of some of the greatest leaders that have ever walked this earth. This month, October, God has put on my heart to do a series reflecting on biblical leaders. Now, let me explain how this is ultimately going to bless each and every one of you. See, we are in a time when we need frontline leaders to take their place. And in these times like never before, we need to know how to decipher real leadership in our government, in our communities, and yes, even in our churches. Because everything hinges on leadership. There are basically two classes of leadership. We have frontline leaders and baseline leaders. Now, neither is greater or more significant than the other. And the goals ahead can only manifest with excellence when the two work together. Our frontline leaders are our ministers, our government officials, our community leaders. Our baseline leaders are first and foremost our parents, heads of households, teachers, grandparents, and so on. All leaders are in position of power and have the responsibility to cast vision, guide, direct, teach, encourage, manage, oversee, and execute. When leadership is faulty, nations crumble. Communities are destroyed. Governments become compromised. Prisons begin to fill quicker than colleges. And churches stray off God's ordained path. Even personally, this series we're about to embark on will enlighten us all. Because everyone is called to a position of leadership in some capacity. With that thought in mind, we have an obligation to reshape our lives, our households, and even our directions. And that can be done and enhanced by learning leadership skills and strategies. Now, the only risk is absolute joy because once embraced, I can assure you that horizons will begin to be broadened. God gave mankind dominion and because we constantly choose to lay out our own paths rather than go along with his plan. This started back in the Garden of Eden. That's where leadership first went left. But note the lesson learned from Adam and Eve, and that is God first and foremost holds those he appointed as leaders accountable for the sins of those they were assigned to lead. I invite you to come aboard, bring a few others with you as we journey through and learn from the lives of some of the most influential leaders that ever lived. As we jumpstart this series, we're going to begin talking about Isaiah. Isaiah is the author of the book in the Bible named after himself, and he is most known for his prophecies concerning the coming of the Messiah. Now you would think that there would be much written about him as a man, but there isn't, which tells us a lot concerning his level of humility. Think about it. He was graced with the assignment of writing an entire book 
a book named after him and the book isn't even about him. Little is written about Isaiah the man in the Bible. We, we know that he was the son of Amaz and that he was married and that he had sons of his own. Though Isaiah's recognition as a great prophet is indicated in the books of Kings and Chronicles, it's also probable that he was a priest as his calling from God took place in a temple, an area reserved only for priests. Also, the anointing he receives is very similar to that of Prophet Jeremiah and Ezekiel, which is representative of a spiritual cleansing aside from salvation, but for the purpose of special service unto the Lord. Follow me close. Ezekiel's calling came as he was told to eat the contents of a scroll, and then he was sent to deliver the word of God. With Jeremiah, the Lord reaches out and touches his lips and he puts his words into the mouth of Jeremiah. And in Isaiah 6, Isaiah's mouth is touched by a piece of coal that laid on the altar. Scripture reads, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away and your sin purged. In other words, God was essentially saying, I am calling you into a position of leadership. And in order for you to fulfill my will, I need to remove from your mindset and your lips any wickedness, immorality, pride, ungodliness, and hidden agendas. The scripture goes on to say that his sin was purged, meaning God took his baggage. Sometimes where God is trying to take us, we need to be willing to leave our baggage on the curb. See, as leaders submitted to the will of God, you can't lead, guide, and counsel effectively with your baggage, your insecurities, your resentment issues, your unforgiveness, your pain in the forefront of your mind, because it will taint how you influence and steer those under your leadership. Your baggage exalted in the wrong situations can prove detrimental and be a cancer in the lives of generations to come. Those who understand leadership and have accepted the mantle also understand the power of their words. Those who take pride in their position as leader and respect those who they are charged to lead, they don't just issue the message of stand down when the message should be stop, terminate, cease, discontinue. Real leaders lose the privilege of saying anything at any time. Real leaders don't get to play the dozens, spread lies or even use degrading words. Real leaders can't afford to bask in the state of ignorance, spewing the first thing that pops into their heads because their power and their influence can destroy people and nations physically, spiritually, and emotionally. Again, I feel the need to remind you that everything hinges on leadership. In Isaiah 32, Isaiah himself makes it very clear as he explains to us the advantage of having leaders who walk 
in righteousness and rule with justice. When true leaders are on the scene, Isaiah says, those who see their vision will not be dim. Those who hear will listen. Those with the heart will understand knowledge. And even tongue stammerers will speak plainly. And the trickery of false leaders will not be sustained because everyone will see, hear, understand, and speak clearly. See, when true untainted leadership governs, it shifts atmosphere, peace reigns, and righteousness consumes the people like a divine plague. Another key point concerning the life of Isaiah is he served the kingdom of Judah under the reign of four kings, showing that leaders also have to be willing to be led. Keep in mind at the time, Judah was a sinful and unjust nation. They were powerful in might, but they had experienced a great decline in their spirituality. But nevertheless, Isaiah believed that Judah was God's chosen nation and that they would be vindicated by God. You see, as a leader, you have to be willing to act in the capacity of servant when necessary. And regardless how hopeless those under your charge may appear, Leaders have to maintain faith and confidence in those they lead, even if those people lack confidence in themselves. It's the faith and the confidence of a leader that has the ability to shift hopelessness and redirect, reestablish, and renew those under their rule, catapulting them into a state of excellence. If you read Chronicles 32, the scripture tells us that the king of Ashria set out to destroy Judah. This king mocked Judah, sold plenty of wolf tickets, and had the audacity to even blaspheme against God. The word of God goes on to tell us that King Hezekiah and Isaiah began to pray and call on the name of God. And God answered them by sending an angel who wiped out everyone in the Ashrian camp, both warriors and officers. The king of Ashria was forced to return home in disgrace. Scripture says with his tail between his legs. And when he went into the temple of his God, his own sons killed him. Another character of true leaders is they don't hang around with people who pacify their egos. They hang around with other leaders, with like-minded people, people who can come together and execute some things when needed. Godly leaders hang around other leaders who know God and who they can partner with in prayer. Isaiah's life was filled with many highs and lows. And his faithfulness to God was rewarded in some amazing miracles. In 2 Kings 20, we read that King Hezekiah became deathly ill and that Isaiah paid him a visit to tell him that it was time for him to put his affairs in order because he didn't have long to live. But King Hezekiah, being a godly man himself, turned his face 
from Isaiah and began praying to God. In his prayer, he reminded God of how he lived a life set on pleasing him. And he wept before God. When Isaiah was leaving and got halfway across the courtyard, God stopped him and told him, go back and tell Hezekiah, I've listened to his prayer. I've observed his tears and that I'm going to heal him. Tell him in three days he will walk on his own into the temple of God and that I have just added 15 years to his life. Isaiah went back and told Hezekiah what God said and he started to prepare Hezekiah to build up his strength. Hezekiah said to Isaiah, not wanting to embarrass, be embarrassed in front of church folks, you know how that can be, claiming that you're healed and then end up falling on your face. He said, how do I know whether this is of God and not the restoration of my strength? What confirming sign is there that God has truly healed me and that I'll be able to walk into the temple of God on my own? Isaiah operating, thinking, and speaking with absolute faith in what God had told him. He said that Hezekiah, this will be your sign from God. And then Isaiah asked him, do you want the shadow to advance 10 degrees on the sundial? Or would you rather it go back 10 degrees? You choose. See, sometimes you need somebody on your side to remind you about the God we serve, to remind you that the God we serve is so bad. And that's what Isaiah did. He reminded Hezekiah that we can go to God and he will manifest miracles based on the choices we make. See, even as leaders, we have to sometimes encourage those of whose leadership we're under. Hezekiah said it would be easy to make the sun dial advance 10 degrees. So let God's sign be that it go back 10 degrees. Now you know Isaiah had to have some incredible faith in God. He knew that God had no problem showing up and showing out. Isaiah called out in prayer to God. And in answer to Isaiah's prayers, God moved the sundial back 10 degrees as a sign to Hezekiah. Isaiah's faith in God was not just based on his signs and wonders. Isaiah's faith was sincere and the evidence was wrapped up in his obedience. See, when you have a sincere faith in God, you trust him enough to walk obedient to his word. Even if it makes you unpopular, even if it makes you look crazy, even if it keeps folks from including you in their inner circle. Isaiah was so sincere in his faith and so committed to being obedient to God, he spent three years stripped naked and barefoot in obedience to God. The symbolism here is to lead effectively and be able to walk as a leader submitted to God, you have to be willing to be transparent, willing to show your scars, willing to show your bruises, willing to admit your mistakes, all for the well-being of others. 
Some of us would not be caught outside without even our makeup on. Others couldn't go a day without our phones. We would protest, ain't no God in that. In Isaiah 20, God told him, go, take off your clothes and your sandals. And Isaiah did, going about naked and barefoot. And because of his obedience, God was able to use Isaiah to give a symbolic warning to the people of the coming barrenness and shame on Egypt and Ethiopia. Now I want you to pause for a moment and think of the simple things God asks of us that we won't sacrifice a moment of inconvenience to be obedient to his word. The truth about true leaders is they can't even be voted in position as a leader. Just because a job description includes the task and the responsibilities of a leader does not make the one in that position a leader. See, one can be designated as a leader, but the ability to fulfill the role of leadership has to do with character, integrity, humility, and who one is at the core of their very being. The best leaders are those who have a relationship with God. And as I say that, I want you to understand my statement is deeper than just a proclamation of Christianity. My statement is an element of truth that has to do with plain old common sense and the dynamics of humanity. Just like we love our children and out of our love for our children, a good parent won't leave their child with just anyone. A good parent won't let their children spend the night at anyone's house. Nor does a good parent not engage in the learning process of their children. Well, you can trust we are no more loving to our children than God is to his. So out of his divine love, he selects leaders out of those who are in relationship with him. Just like we would not go to the crack house looking for a babysitter, God does not look to those who support Satan's agenda to lead God, direct, and influence his children. Even those who have not accepted his son as their Lord and Savior. When ungodly leadership reigns, it's because of us. It's because we tend to label someone a leader based on their wealth, their status, or their popularity with no consideration for character, integrity, or value. You know, the things that would give some validity and ability to trust someone. We pick leaders according to the rules set by Satan, then wonder why there's so much corruption and demonic agendas being exalted. Our trust is built on flesh, whereby God builds trust and instructs us to build trust on character. See, it's because God could trust Isaiah to set aside his pride and be totally committed to fulfilling his will above all, even when he didn't always understand the will of God. But because of Isaiah's commitment, God knew he could trust him with something as significant as the prophecies of the coming of the Messiah. Prophecies that were given to him hundreds of years before the birth of Christ. Prophecies that later would be quoted by Matthew when he described John the Baptist's ministry. 
And when Jesus moved to Galilee to start his ministry, Isaiah's prophecy was fulfilled. Jesus himself quotes Isaiah's prophecy when speaking in parables. And the apostle Paul also makes reference to the same prophecy when he's in Rome. And when Jesus reads from the book of Isaiah in the synagogue at Nazareth, he amazes many of the Jews by claiming the prophet that the prophecy is fulfilled in him. It is also interesting to note that the Gospels quote more of Isaiah's writings than any other Old Testament prophet. Because of Isaiah's leadership, compassion for others, and relationship with God, thousands of years after his death, his words, his prophecies, His life, his commitment to God reigns as an untainted legacy to be exalted as an example of what we should strive for. It is from the writings of Isaiah that we learn of his unwavering faithfulness and his complete humility before God. He also had the great respect of King Hezekiah's court and his peers because as a leader he could effectively handle a crisis. Some of the world's greatest artworks, music, and poetry have come from men who walked closely with God and we can count as Isaiah among them. As we close this first part of our series, on great biblical leaders, we can say that Isaiah taught us that leaders walk in humility, not in grandeur, not demanding, not as a bully. We also learned from Isaiah that leaders are concerned about the well-being of the people they are called to lead, and that a true leader will sacrifice their own pride to assure the best for they, those that they have been appointed to lead. Isaiah taught us that good leaders choose associates carefully. And finally, good leaders strive for righteousness above all. Let us pray. Father God, in the name of your son Jesus, we come to you today and we thank you for your word. Lord, each and every one of us has a leadership role assigned to us in some capacity. Lord, we come to you asking you to shift our mindsets to be more like your servant Isaiah. Let us walk in humility and obedience to your word, not guided or tainted by the world's standard, but committed to the exaltation of your kingdom. Lord, we give you honor. We give you praise. We thank you, oh God. We thank you. We thank you. We thank you for your grace. We humble ourselves as we thank you for your mercy. We give you praise. Amen, amen, and amen. Again, thank you for joining us today. I certainly hope this message was edifying to your spirit and that you deem it worthy of sharing it with someone. Have a blessed remainder of your day. Jesus, Jesus, every day, every day. Uh-huh.
Do what's called Sometimes